Welcome back, everybody, to Who's Your Band? I am Jeffrey Paul. I am joined this week. Finally, Sean and I are on the same page. We are, ah, there we go. Okay, me and Sean are together. Sean, how are you? I'm wonderful, Jeffrey. It was great seeing your beautiful face the other day. Yeah, that was a great show, man. We were out at uh, Comedy Under the Stars in uh, Linden, New Jersey, at the Raymond Woodbauer Amphitheater with uh, Rich Voss, who killed it. I thought everybody had a great set. I agree. I agree. Yeah. It's a good time. But it's good to have you back. It's good to we were able to do this together. And uh, I'm excited to bring in our guest today because this guy, he played uh, in Lynch Mob. He uh, has been part of Ace Freely's band, and he is currently in Red Dragon Cartel. Please welcome to the show, Anthony Esposito. How are you, Anthony? Oh, thank you. I'm good. How are you? Thank you. I'm good. Hey, Anthony, I, I'm going to ask you a a weird question right off the bat. Um, did you live on Staten Island by any chance? Yeah, I grew up there. You grew where did you grow up? Richmond Town. My mom still lives there. Your mom still lives there. And did you go to IS24? Yeah, I did. Do you, do you remember what years you went there? Uh, Oh man, we're, we're losing you. We're losing Anthony. After we need, we need, I need the answer to this question. Sean, you getting him? No, nah, it's all broken up. Hey, right, we got a little bit of a technical difficulty right off the top here. Is um, this better? Hey, there we go. speak a little bit. Hello. There right, we go. go. Okay, so this all is right. what everybody's well, been. I had a, I had a when did you go to Twenty Four. Where did I go, or when did I? No, when when. No, when did you I graduate? I, I think I graduated in 1980. Oh, 1980. Holy shit. Okay. We may have been in the school at the same time. Really? Yes. And I'm, I'm going to throw, throw something else at you. Another bass player, uh, I believe, attended that school before us, though. And do you know who that would happen to be? No. The one and only Chasm Sultan. Oh, Really? Yeah, I didn't know fact, that he went by his point four. Yeah, me and his brother were actually in the same class. And I remember, do you remember what do you do you remember what IS24's name was? Yeah, the uh, the was it the Bruins? No, Myra S. Barnes. My, Myra S. Barnes, right. The Myra S. Barnes Bruins, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy, man. What a what a small world. What a small world. Uh, Mr. Bill LeVay was a bass teacher there, and he was very uh, instrumental in why I play the bass. And um, remember in the fifth grade when they came to your public school and they asked you if you wanted to be in art, um, art, drama or music as your elective. Right. So I couldn't draw and I didn't want to act. So I said music. Right. So then they put you in this room. And this lady's playing the piano and you have to like, they, they go up or down on the notes. And it was basically just a test to see if you were tone deaf. And then um, if you pass that, then you got to choose whether you wanted to be brass, woodwinds or strings. And I wanted to always be a saxophone player, but I had braces at the time. So the lady said, sorry, you can't, you can't play saxophone. I said, well, then what, what can I play? And they go, you have to play a stringed instrument. So 
I wasn't going to play the violin. I mean, you remember like the guys in the IS-24 would razz you about, they would bust your balls about anything possible. So the last thing I wanted to do was be a violinist. So I was like, okay, give me the biggest string instrument you got. So it was an upright bass. And that's how I learned and started how to play the bass. Originally, I wanted to be a sax player. So uh, yeah, and every uh, every Christmas, um, they would let you take your instruments home over Christmas break. That's right. So my mom would pick me, my mom would pick me up, and she had like a two door Cougar XR seven nineteen seventy seven, and it would be trying to, great. Yeah, we try we'd be trying to jam this fucking double bass in the back seat of the car. And she'd see all these girls walking out with their violins and their 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 clarinets. <laughs> and she was like, I couldn't pick a smaller instrument. We're trying to jam this thing in the back seat. Because there's only a two-door. It was a pain in the butt. It was massive. But yeah, that's how I started playing bass. And Bill LeVay was you, my uh my teacher. I remember Bill LeVay. He was a cool guy. Yeah, um, yeah it was great. He's actually go to his house. And 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 he would give me bass guitar lessons. Um, and then in school, I would play upright bass. And it was great. I mean, I loved it. You know, it was fun. Where'd you go to high school? Farrell. Farrell? Yeah, Monsignor Farrell. I was, sure, yeah. I was student council. I was student council president. <laughs> oh, get out of here. In 1984. In 1984, class. I went back for my couple of years. I went back to my 30th reunion and like the borough president was in my cabinet when I was president. Who was that? Otto? James, James Otto. Yeah. He was my, he was my secretary in my cabinet. And then one guy is like the DA in Manhattan. Another guy's like the DA in Queens. And like everybody went on to all these big things. And like, I kind of felt like, oh yeah, I underachieved. Like I, I'm only a musician. You, know? <laughs> you became a successful rock star. What are you? What are you talking about? They're probably envious of you. My son no, graduated from Farrell. It's true. They all cornered me and were like, "So what's it like going on tour when you're playing like in Japan and stuff?" You know. So uh, it was funny. That's, that's pretty cool. Again, what a small world. So let's let's get to the music questions here, man. Um, so I mentioned at the top of the show that you you played with Lynch Mob and Ace Freely and and Red Dragon uh, Cartel. So right off the bat, is it intimidating uh, playing with like these guitar legends like Ace Freely and Jakey Lee, George Lynch, Bumblefoot? I mean, you played with like some of the biggest and the best. Do you get intimidated? Um, you're leaving out like uh, I played with from Fire Your Death Punch for a while. Uh, Richard Fortis and Frank Ferrer, who are both in Guns N' Roses now. We had a band in New York called Pisser. Um, um, no, I mean, when I grew up, I grew up on Staten Island, you know, uh, at that time, it was all about punk rock. You know, it was all about the Ramones and the Pistols and the Clash. And um, so, like, to me, guitar heroes were a foreign thing. Um, I never was a rock guy until I joined Lynch Mob. And um, I didn't really know who Lynch Mob was. I didn't know who Dawkins was. I didn't know who George Lynch was. And I was 22. I was 22 years old when I got. The so, Anthony, what were you I, listening to then? If you're in Flash, high school in Staten Island, you know, I remember. Flash, the police, the jam. Oh, okay. So you were more of a new wave guy. 
new wave of punk rock, the Pistols, the Clash, the Jam. Um, uh, I was a huge Police fan. I loved the Police. Um, you know, I sense. never really got into metal until I joined Lynch Mob, really. I mean, I wasn't like a metal guy, you know? And um, so when I played with with George, with George, it wasn't a big deal to me. Like, I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't particularly like docking anyway. Um, and then uh, we, we, we did the Lynch Mob thing, and, th and then that broke up, and I, I quit that. And then I went, moved back home, and I started a band with the guy that I had uh, bands with on Staten Island when I was growing up. What um, bands were you in we on Staten Island? Well, we had this band called The Act, and we would sell out wherever we played. We outsold Madonna at the Park Villa one time. Sure. And, um, and Where else did you play like, on Staten Island? Uh, I played Wave Street, anything on Bay Street, 690, Red Spot, Wave Street, Park Villa. Dude, I had to see you. I had to see my you. I used to hang out at all those places. My first gig was the Intimate Lounge. Um, I remember, sure. Over by the projects over there. Um, but no, I like, playing with George was not a big deal for me. I mean, I didn't really care. Like, I was just happy to have a gig and not have to bust tables anymore. Um, but then I played, I had a couple of gig uh, bands where I tried to sing and stuff. And then I got hooked up with uh, playing with the Ramones guys, with Marky and, and Dee Dee and, and um, hanging out with them. That was a big deal for me. And then after that, I started playing with Ace. And the first concert I ever went to was Kiss at, at the Garden in 78. So 78 with was, Piper as the opening band, right? No, I think it was New England or something. No, 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 no. If it was 78, if it was December of 78, me, you, and Eddie Trunk we're all at the same concert, and it was Piper that was the opening act. That was 78. That was the Kiss Alive tour. Kiss Alive Maybe. 2. May, no, it might have been the one after that. It might have been the Dynasty tour. Okay. But um, I, I actually was, I had the last row at the Garden, and we took Sly back then. You know how you took slides? You didn't have a camera phone, obviously. So we took slides. I scanned the slides into my computer. And then when I was going up to Ace's house and we were writing the Anomaly record, I showed him the slides and he was like, you know, that big in the frame because I was the last row without a zoom lens. And he was like, oh, Poppy, I didn't know you were a Kiss fan. And I was like, Ace, everybody my age was a Kiss fan. It's like, true. and um, so that was kind of like, I did, I remember we did a talent show at IS24 and we did four songs and two of them were Ramon songs and two of them were Kiss songs. And I ended up playing the two Ramon songs with Dee Dee and Marky. And then I ended up playing the two Kiss songs with Ace. So it was kind of weird, you know, like, like playing with Ace was kind of weird because he wasn't in the makeup and he wasn't in the costume. But like we would get moments like the solo and love gun or like whatever. I would just get the chills because it was like childhood all over. But um the guitar player I'm playing with now is probably the best guitar player I've ever played with. Jakey um, Lee. Jakey Lee. Yeah, he's so talented and so diverse. And he's such a great musician. He's a classically trained pianist. And uh, he's, he's the way he thinks, the way he writes, and his talent level is just off the charts. He's definitely the best musician I've ever worked with. You know? well, 
we'll get to uh, Red Dragon Cartel in a second. Um, do you remember the uh, two Kiss songs and two Ramon songs you wound up playing in that set? I think it was uh, Cold Gin and Deuce. Oh my God! And These the Ramones and the Ramones songs were Blitzkrieg Bop, and I just want to have something to do. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Blitzkrieg Bop is a very entailed song to play. You know, it's it's very hard. It must have taken you weeks <laughs> to figure that one out too. Yeah, the Ramones stuff's really hard because it's all the same three notes. It's Pretty all much. like A D G with a B, with a B thrown in every once in a while. But it's like the the difference is how long you stay on each part is the problem. You know, like it may be a short A and then a long D or a long A and then a short D. Mm -hmm. So it kind of gets confusing when you're playing them. You know, and they do like. You do like 85 songs in an hour, you know? It's like yeah. everything's so fast. But, um, two, two and a half, three minutes long, if that. Yeah, playing with playing with Jake is definitely the hardest stuff to, that I've ever had to play so far, you know? So let me ask you, Anthony, um, how do you get in these bands? Are you hired on reputation? Do you have to audition? Like, how, 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 do, you, how do you hook up with George first? Um, I was in a band in New York. First of all, I auditioned for a band on Atlantic Records. And they auditioned like 75 bass players. And it was down between me and Phil Susan. Okay, Phil Susan had already played with Ozzy and Billy Idol and, you know, whatever. And like I said, I was busting dishes. So he got the gig, but they asked me, they're like, Phil lives in LA, he's got to move to New York. Can you help with some drummers? So I was like, yeah, sure. So I helped them audition drummers. I stayed on for a few more days and helped them out. And then they were on Atlantic. So the Atlantic PR person came to see the band that I was playing in at the time at the China Club. And um, she said, Ann, I'm going to be honest with you. Your band sucks, but you're really good. So let me help you. And I was like, OK. And she got me like seven auditions in seven days. One of them was the Lynch Mob, and I took that one. Uh, interesting. And how, how about uh, with Ace and uh, Jakey? Ace was um, a hell's angel. My friend, he was an angel in New York. And uh, I was sober at the time. I'm not sober anymore. <laughs> but uh, I was sober at the time. And uh, this hell's angel was like, you need to meet Ace and Ace needs to meet you. So I went up to Ace's house and we just hung out and we jammed. His friend, who was a truck driver, played drums, and we jammed a few Kiss tunes. And then we became really good friends, and then we just started playing together, and we did a small tour. I put a band together for him. We did a small tour, and then we went back and toured Anomaly, and we toured on Anomaly. Now, I, I think it's interesting. You, you mentioned um, Hell's Angels, and I know they had their headquarters down in, in well, the village where you also had a, a recording studio at one point, right? Yeah, the Angels, I think, were on 4th Street, and I, right. I, was, I, was, I was in Hell's Kitchen. I was 27th and 7th. I was right by FIT in the garden. And, and you, you had this recording studio for, what, 15 yeah. years or so? 15 years. Now, now I moved it because um, I moved. The last record I did at the studio in New York was Ace Freely's Anomaly record. It was me. Ace Anton Fig on drums, and we had Jay Messina, who was Jack Douglas's engineer. 
the first five hours in the records, first two. Wait, two re- tracks just records, repeat that because you you broke up for a second because that's a phenomenal well, band. Yeah, the the last record we did at the studio in New York was um, Ace's record, and it was uh, it was Ace Freely, Anton Fig on drums, and me on bass, and wow. uh, we cut basic. Yeah, we cut basic and everything in my studio, and then I moved all my gear. I put them in rolling racks. And we moved it up to Ace's studio and finished the guitars and the vocals up there. And uh, Jay Messina was the engineer. And Jay engineered, he was Jack Douglas's engineer. So he engineered like the first five Aerosmith records and the first two Cheap Trick records and John Lennon. And he was a phenomenal engineer. So uh, we moved it up there. And then when I bought my horse ranch, and now I live in Dillsburg, Pennsylvania, right above Gettysburg. And um, I moved the studio to the ranch um, and now bands come and stay on the ranch and I produce them and record them. I have like tomorrow, I have three days of vocals I'm doing with this uh, Americana style band. And then on the weekend, two of the guys from Guar are coming out and called uh, the Mobile Death Camp and they're coming out to track their record this weekend. Now, when you, you had a schoolhouse studio, who did you yeah. record in them? Yeah, who who was who was some of the people you recorded? Who was some of the bands? Um, the Misfits, the Ramones, Joan Jack, Green Day, uh, the New York Dolls. Um, there were ton- I mean, you know, anything that had a guitar on it usually used. So to- nobody big, right? No, nobody we've ever heard of. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was like it was a New York thing, and I had an amazing console, and uh, everybody wanted to use that console, and I was like the last one to go for Pro Tools. I still had the tape machine from Electric Lady Studios. So I had Hendrix's old tape machine. Um, So a lot of people wanted to come and record. And and we got great sounds. It wasn't anything special. It was just a big room with with a bunch of good gear in it. It wasn't like ISO booths and lounges and stuff. It was just a big square, you know? You prefer to record record in analog or you uh, prefer to do Pro Tools? Analog. It's the best, isn't it? Yes. It sounds the best. Um, it, it, it really shows the players can play or not. Uh, right. It's not as much. I mean, you could cut tape and stuff, and you could fly stuff and, and, and punch stuff, but you got to play it. You know, you can't really, like, you know, Pro Tools, there's so much editing and stuff. Dave Grohl did a great you know? documentary about uh, Sound City. I don't know if you ever saw that. Yeah, I did. Yeah, where he bought the uh, the mixing board from Sound City Studios. That was a need. That was a need. That was an 8058. I had an 8048. And um, the guy who produced the second Lynch Mob record was a guy named Keith Olson, who did Ozzy and Scorpions, and he did Fleetwood Mac Rumors. He's he's one of the fam- most famous producers. And he passed away a couple of years ago. But he was the house uh, engineer, producer at Sound City. He was the one that bought and ordered the board that Grohl bought from Neve back in the day. Wow. And uh, and then uh, Keith saw that the trends were going digital. So Keith opened the studio right next door to Sound City called Goodnight LA. And he did White Snake Slip of the Tongue, White Snake 87. He did Scorpions down in Gorky Park. He did Ozzy No Rest for the Wicked, the Zach first record. Uh, he did so many great bands. Uh, I mean, and he did some like fun stuff too, like Rick Springfield. 
He did Foreigner. He did Lou Graham. He did uh, Stevie Nicks. He did He's a monster. But he did the second Lynch Mob record. But he was the guy that bought that board. How surreal is it for you to be a guy from Staten Island and to be playing with these legends and making a living doing music? Um, blessed, lucky. Um, you know, there's a lot of great players out there. There's a lot of great guys in the bars all across America on, on, on any given night of the week that are really talented. And um, I guess I just happen to be at the right place at the right time. And um, thank God I, I was given talent to back it up and make that, that, um, that opportunity count. And, and, and parlay it into a career, you know? But I, I, I try to be picky with who I play with. Like I, I usually, you know, I play with only people that I really like and respect their music and credible people, you know? And, um, and I, I think I've been on, on really good records. You know, like I, I like Anomaly. I, I, I like, I think Wicked's a great record. I think the second Lynchbob record's a great record. Um, you know, I, 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 we lost you for a second there, Anthony. Yeah, can you hear me now? Is it now, good? now we can. Sure. Sorry. I mean, about I that. really, yeah. I really, I really like the record that um, I made with Jake a couple of years ago called Patina. I think that's a great record. Um, it, it's just, you know, I, I didn't. I'm not a mercenary. I'm not a guy that just jumps on the next thing because it pays me five dollars more than what I'm doing now. You know, um, I gotta believe in it. I gotta go on stage and really want to play the songs. You know. Do you prefer recording? You know, in are you more of a studio guy or are you more uh, you prefer like touring and live? I like both. I mean, they're both great. They both have their advantages and they both have their disadvantages. Um, I, I love playing in front of people. I love I love getting to meet people and I, 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 you know talking to people after and before the show. And then uh, I, I, I that's a, a beauty of of the job is you're, you're traveling all over the world and you're meeting in Australia and Sweden and Norway and London and Paris and. You know, most jobs, if you're not carrying a gun, you don't really get that chance, you know? Um, and, 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 and you get an immediate reaction, you get to sweat with the crowd and, and, and get into it with the crowd, and it's great for that. But I really like the, uh, the beauty of creating something from nothing in the studio, you know? Um, I still try to do everything that I work on organically in the studio, where it's not like drummers in, you know, LA, singers in, you know, Toronto or whatever. It's got to be in the same room. It's got to be organic. It's got to be people feeding off each other. And uh, that's because that's what music is, you know. It, it, it's the, um, it's almost like a snapshot of that moment in time of those four exactly. guys in the room creating something at that moment in their life. And you can't have like, you know, different moments scattered in different states and countries and create something that's cohesive and, and feels good, you know? Mm -hmm. so if, your, if your phone could ring right now and that phone call would be that you can be in your favorite band <laughs> playing for them, who would it be? Well, 
I love playing with Jake. I just wish we'd play more. Like, you know, it's with Jake, it's Jake's band and Jake calls all the shots. I don't have any say in when we tour, where we tour, how we tour, or when we record or how, you know, I'm just basically an employee with that, you know? So it's, it's kind of like, I missed, you know, too, also this week, it was really weird. Um, most of the stuff that I did that was arenas and stuff was lynch mob. Right. And it was back, it was back in the day before digital recorder. It was like handy cam recorder. So we used to set up every show, a tripod with a little handy cam on it behind the sound guy. And he would film the entire show. So I only had all these, these shows on VHS. So this week, my buddy who directed the, uh, the Patina videos, he loaned me his deck that dubs to DVD. Because every time you put a VHS tape in the fucking deck, it's like Russian roulette, whether you're going to get it out or not, whether right. the tape's going to come off or it's going to rip or bubble or whatever. So I slammed them all the DVD. So like the last five, six days, I've been watching all these old lynch mob videos and watching all these old, like, it, it was just old gigs and old bands and even not lynch mob, but other bands I was in. And uh, it was just, it, it was nice every, uh, to take the time to go down memory lane. Like I would have never did that had I not had the reason to burn them the DVD. So it kind of reminded me of where I came from, you know, like the, my, my bands playing bars in Staten Island. I have gigs of those. And then all the way up to like, you know, uh, most of the ace stuff people, people have on, 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 on DVDs, but before that, you know, but I don't know. I, I, I couldn't think of a band. Like, I don't know. You know, it's like, uh, uh, there's a couple of gigs I wish I would have gotten. I wish I would have played with Billy Idol. I wish I would have played with the cult, you know, like, Oh my God. Two yeah. Two bands. I would have loved to have played with us. Steve Stevens is a great guy, great guitar player that I'd love to play with. And, um, I mean, those are probably two that I didn't get to Ozzy. Ozzy would be a fun, great gig. Um, but I mean, I do love playing with Jake. I just wish we played more, you know, we only did 20, like I joined in 2015 and I think we've only done 50 gigs in six years. Wow. Yeah. Uh, what are your three favorite Lynch Bob songs to play live when you were in the band? Four million years. Okay. Um, I used to love playing um, Hell Child. Okay. And, and I used to love, it wasn't a Lynch Mob song, but we did it every show. Uh, Mr. Scary, the instrumental George did from Docking. That was always fun. I was always a uh, Big River of Love fan, personally. Yeah, it's a single. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> was, I, think Lynch, I think Lynch Mob's uh, Wicked Sensation album was the last cassette that I had gotten from Columbia House. 12 for a penny when we would scam Columbia house out of like, you know, getting 20, 20 CDs for, you know, three cents. Everybody yeah, it, was 12, did that. it was 12 for a penny. That oh, was yeah. the joke. That was the joke. You used to walk into a, you used to walk into a, a bar and go, yeah, I just got signed to Columbia. I got a 12 album deal <laughs> for a penny. <laughs> Sean, you should open up with that next week. 
I'll, 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 I'll yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> Anthony, you, you mentioned before um, you like being in the studio with people. So what you wind up doing during the last year during quarantine when like you really couldn't see anybody? How'd you handle that? Yeah, we couldn't see anybody, right? <laughs> <laughs> I guess Anthony's working with somebody. This, <laughs> I, we're, we're, I, I live in a very red area. <laughs> there aren't many masks going on where I live. Um, but anyway, and, and I don't think deer or cows have COVID, so I'm all right on the ranch. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, I this band found me. They're from Connecticut, okay? They're called the War Brothers, and they're four brothers, two sets of twins, two years apart. Okay, so wow. the the bass player and the guitar player are twenty five, and the drummer and the singer are twenty three, and their father is like my age, and their father raised them right. Their father raised them on old Van Halen and Sabbath, and like good good fucking rock. So right. they're like that kind of band. So we did a three song EP that's coming out like this month. And then now we're working on a 10 song record and I'm going to shop them when it's done because it's, it's fucking incredible. The guitar player is unreal. He, he should be the next guitar hero. Like if that even exists anymore in this day and age, this kid should be the next one. Dude, and it's kind of like, what? I was gonna say when you when you get the chance, can you send us a link to to this band so we could push them and promote them for you? Sure, of course. Well, when it's ready, when the EP comes out, like we did an EP, and it was the first time I worked with them, and we did three songs, and um, they're very motley ass Judas Priest kind of vibe. And um, they were almost they were almost garagey, garage like almost how Motley had the Leather Records record, the first Too Fast for Love, where it was kind of um, it was kind of sloppy but but edgy, almost street vibe, you know. So we did those three, and then they came in to do three more, and the songwriting grew, and they developed as artists because they went through the process of recording already. Every time you record, you get better and you grow and you listen deeper and you, you, you hear things and your, your arrangements are better. And um, so they came in to do three new songs and we were like, look, these three new songs are so much better than the first three. Let's release the first three as an EP and start a record with this vibe of because they grew up so much going through the process. So then we did like this whole, we did 10 songs and I'm really proud of it. It's really good. But um, once it's done, I'm going to shop it and try to get them a deal, you know, but uh, they're great. I, I hope, I hope nothing but the best for them. You know? Yeah. What do you, what do you think about new music? Um, are you a fan of uh, Greta Van Fleet and uh, Ghost maybe, but what do you think about Greta? Um, you know, I mean, they got a bad rap because they sound like Zeppelin, but I mean, you know, a lot of people sound like a lot of people that doesn't, you know, at least they sound like a great band, <laughs> you know, they don't sound like a crappy band. If they sounded like poison, then I'd be like, you know, we got a problem. But, but uh, I like the first record. <laughs> what I heard, off the, what, what, what I heard off the second record wasn't nearly as good as the first album. So I think they kind of rushed the second album to get it out. I like the second album. 
I think it's good. I don't know. Sean, we don't hear you. We don't hear you, Sean. I sound more of a Dirty Honey fan than I am a Greta Van Fleet. I like Dirty Honey. I like Dirty Honey, but if you're going to go in that school, in that vein, um, like that Blackberry Smoke kind of vein and like that, I, I dig Rival Sons. Um, yeah. Love Rival show, Sons. Oh, my and, God. Uh, yeah. We, we did a show um, with Ace. It was, it was Alice Cooper headlined. Ace was in the middle. And then Rival Sons was on first. And I was wow. watching them in the dressing room. I was watching them in the dressing room on the closed circuit TV. And then I ran outside to watch them from the side of the stage because they were so good. And like ever since that day, I've been a big rival Suns fan. You know, they're great. But how um, are they not bigger? I don't really, you know. Well, what, the problem with that is radio. And, and there's no way for bands to get bigger anymore. I mean, you're streaming, but people usually stream what they already know. They don't stream and find other stuff, you know? And then it's like the radio stations won't play anything that's not on a major that's not being paid for. And then there's no MTV anymore. There's no, it's like for, for, for a situation that supposedly has so many days and so it makes it so easy for the artist to get exposure. It's so hard for artists to, to get, get exposure. So I don't, it, it, today's day and age just sucks. Like Spotify and Apple music, they all ruined it. They ruined, they ruined, they ruined music, period. I, I, I agree with everything you just said, Anthony. Um, I, I look at an album like Feral Roots and every song on that album could be a single. Every one of those songs would make, would be great on, on FM radio. And like, you're lucky if you hear it once in a while on uh, XM. But I think this generation, I mean, it's great to be able to get music 30 seconds. You know, when you hear something, you're able to get that, that instant gratification of music. But nothing, nothing beat going down to Lane uh, Music in New York. Do you remember that? Yeah. And buying sure. a new album and getting an album like, say, I don't know, uh, like the, the, the live bootleg of... Uh, of our, I remember Aerosmith's live bootleg, and it came with a poster in it, and you mm -hmm. put that poster on your wall right away, and that was great. And this generation will never understand that feeling, how cool that was. I got, I got to say, when we released Patina, the vinyl pressing sold out in a day. So how many, how many, uh, how many copies did you put out? Oh, a thousand, something like that. Then it came in green or orange vinyl, and and uh, they, they sold out like they were gone. And it's, it well, that's, seems, that's encouraging to hear. Yeah, no, it seems like there is the audio files that are going back to vinyl, which is great. But um, and it seems like the only people that buy CDs are people that plan on meeting the band and getting the CD signed. Um, everybody else who just wants to hear it downloads it. Right. Right. And there's nothing wrong with download. I mean, listen, I, you want I want you guys to make uh, as much money as possible. You know, you deserve it. But it just seems like the whole industry is backwards. Like, you know, back in the day, it used to be you made your money off of uh, album sales. I used to work for uh, CBS Records. I worked in the A&R department. And like uh -huh. now now you're making nothing really off the album and you're making everything off of the touring and the merch. Well, they fucked it up. All the labels fucked it up because in the late 80s, they sold the idea of the CD as the be-all, end-all panacea to audio listening. 
They said that the quality was better, which was a lie. They said that they would never scratch or skip, which was a lie. And they opened the door by taking the huge windfall from 1987 to 92 of everybody going back and getting all their vinyl and cassettes on CD, restocking their catalogs. They made billions over those five years, but they opened up the door for binary code. And the fan could easily download it, easily duplicate it, easily. And, and now nobody needs to buy anything. And because okay. they opened the door for digital media, if they would have said to the Japanese, sorry, the CD is not a viable medium. It doesn't sound good. We don't want it, blah, blah, blah. And they didn't take all that money that they made on everybody going out and buying all their Kiss records and their Aerosmith records on CD. And early CDs sounded like crap. They were they were 16-bit. They sounded like thin. Now that's why every there was a whole remaster market where everybody went back and remastered their records because the original transfers were crappy. So it was like they opened the door for their own demise. But what I do miss about the labels is they provided a function of a funnel. They were a funnel and a filter where bands that weren't good enough, they didn't get a record deal. Now, bands can record in their basement, on their computer, upload it to Bandcamp or whatever, and then you got to go through 8 million bands to find one good one. And that just clogs the artery of the, of the music flow. That, 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 that's, that's right. I remember because I, I worked it like uh, I was basically the go between between the uh, accounting department and actually paying the artists. So like when you mentioned Anton Fig, I knew him because I would go over to uh, Letterman's uh, uh, studio and I would I would actually give him the check. You know, right. it was BlackRock was really just one block over. Yeah, so, I remember. You know, yeah. And you know, it was cool. I was a young guy at, at the time, but I remember also uh, I was friendly with uh, a lot of the A&R guys uh, creative upstairs and they would always give me like the cassettes that band would come in and just, hey, listen to this. And I, re I remember uh, there was a band that we signed called Pretty Maids, who I thought was great. And you know, they, they never like, you know, they never got up any traction. But I just remember just listening to, you know, every day listening to new bands it's like how do you decide which one to sign you know and like, well, you know, like they, now, they only signed what they thought they could make money on. that's true um but also like like what you said is so relevant and so you know it's like how do you go through like the minutia and the and the sea of just so many crappy music before you you find like the uh the the uh, the, the pearl in the in the oyster well, also, you got to realize, too, that these bands are going straight to marketplace. They aren't going, getting signed to a label. The label puts them with a, an amazing producer that helps refine their sound in a real recording studio with a real engineer. And then they go and have an A&R guy to guide their path, supposedly, through their career and, and, and then work it to radio. And it's like they're just going basically releasing demos that they made in their basement and right. straight marketplace. That's right. That that's a that's a that's a perfect way of putting it. You're listening to to, to demos. You know, you're listening to you know. Oh yeah. Um, 
what's going on with you? Because uh, you know, like I said, connection's still a little weird. So before we lose you, um, what's going on with a uh, Red Dragon cocktail, and what are you guys uh, doing for the summer? I, I don't know. I mean, I went to uh, uh, my wife's daughter, my, my stepdaughter's birthday. She had twenty first birthday, so we went out to Vegas for it a couple weeks ago. And uh, so I got to see Jake while I was out there because Jake lives in Vegas. And he just said, he's like, we can't really tour um, until the rooms are 100% capacity. Because if the rooms aren't 100% capacity, he, um, they, the, the guarantees aren't 100%. They can only pay you based on what they could sell. And uh, right. we really need, I mean, we're not playing big rooms on our own, you know. So it's like we need every penny to survive and pay the bus and the flights and all that and eat and stuff like that. So it's like we're not at the luxury where we can go out and on a cut rate, you know. So we have to wait for everything to open up full scale as far as touring. And then I think he, he wants to do more shows to support the last record, even though the last record came out like two, two years ago, two and a half years ago. Um, he doesn't feel like we worked that record enough yet. And, uh, before we go in and the conversation changes to the new album, he wants to kind of do more tour dates. So we're kind of in this spot where we're just sitting around doing nothing. You know? The problem that bands are starting to find is that since everybody hasn't done anything in a year, that booking rooms is becoming a problem. You know, it's the same thing with yeah, comedians. Yeah, everyone's going out. And so it's like you're going to I think you're going to start to see bands playing venues and rooms like like they traditionally wouldn't play because they just got to play somewhere. Because in 2022, that is going to be the year where everybody's going to be out because I think things are going to be open at 100 percent. You know, I will I will say one thing, though, Jeff, that I have to disagree with you. <clears throat> if you looked at the festival circuit this year. I think it's the most amazing lineup of of artists that are playing. It's going to get it's going to get bigger. It's going to get bigger. I, I, I just feel like everybody is just like you know what we don't give a shit. We'll play anywhere at this point. That's right. And these four day festivals are just absolutely monstrous. Metallica is doing these festivals where they're, they're headlining two nights at a festival. Yeah, they're doing two different sets. I saw that. Uh, I thought it was interesting that um, this, the original stadium tour with uh, uh, Motley Crue and Def Leppard and Poison, they postponed that for next year. But another one is out, uh, and that's the one with Weezer, Fall Out Boy, and uh, Green Day. That, their, that tour is still on. And then I don't know if I had tickets for this. At, you know, before, Obviously, it got canceled. But it was kind of like a – it was kind of built as a mini um, – uh, stadium tour and that had a uh, rat headlining with uh, Tom Kiefer, Quiet Riot. Uh, I, I forgot who else was on that show. It was, it was a great show, and there was kind of rumors that that was kind of getting back together again as well. Well, I mean, I hope if if Rat goes out, that we would be able to go out with them because because that would be Warren, an amazing show. Because Jake and Warren are best friends. He's a great guy. I've I, I met and hung out with Warren. Him and uh, Bobby are both great, great uh, dudes. But is Warren um, back? You, you just broke up. Say it one more time. Is Warren back in it? Mm, I think that's the million-dollar question because you don't know what you're getting when you go out. Because I'm hearing people saying to us, uh, hey, I'm going to see Rat. And it's like, 
what version of rat are you getting? Is, yeah, is it hard. Steven's version of rat? Is is, is Steven back in the back? Like he, there's there's no information that is is being released. You know, um, that's that's the problem too. Like with a band like Great White, you know, we had uh, Mitch Malloy on, so you can either get uh, Mitch's version of uh, of, uh, of 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 uh, Great White, or you can get Jack Russell's version of Great White. If Warren was back in Rat, you'd know about it. Yeah, he's not in there. Yeah. You, you would, it, it would be a it would be a big thing. It would be a, a blabbermouth press release. Who's who's playing guitar? Is it, is it Carlos Cravazzo? No, he won't play without Warren. Wow. They got like guys I never heard of. Hmm. That's too bad, man. Because uh, that I t- I tell you, I would, man, I would to see uh, Rat with Warren and you guys on that bill. That would be an amazing show. I mean, that I could see you guys playing like a, a PNC and, you know, maybe have another support act on that as well and just sell that out. Uh, that would be a great, great tour. Who is the biggest? Well, dick? Originally, who was the biggest originally dick we were talking. What happened? Who was the biggest dick that you ever toured with that isn't named George Lynch? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like <clears throat> I get along with everybody, honestly. Like nobody gives me shit. Nobody's a dick to me, so I don't. I don't really get it. You know, there was no um, diva. There was no diva like major diva acts that you know had to have the brown M and M's in the in the dressing room. No, 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 not at all. It was always a party, and I mean, we never headlined arenas. We always opened, and the the the, the headliners were always cool to us because I mean, you know, we had George and Mick from Docking. It's like they were they were in a band bigger than the headliner usually, so it's it's kind of like, you know, we went out with guys like you know Queensrÿche and Cinderella and you know like good guys. They're all good guys. They're all uh, we we mostly toured with musician bands, not pose bands. You know, right? Like it was all players, not 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 like like poser poser bands. You know. Before we let you go, Anthony, there's something I did also want to ask you is that um, I, I love that we grew up you know, in the same time, same place in Staten Island. So you hung out like did you go like to the uh, to the rock clubs? Did you go like to yeah, uh, the factory and places like that? I actually did a blog a couple of weeks ago with Mark the Animal Mendoza. And I was oh, like, ish. dude, I was an SM for SMF friend and I used to sneak into like Moors and like like. Uh, I forgot the name of the place out in Tottenville that I used to go see them play. Tottenville, the Tottenville was Tottenville was uh, was no the, the Rock, Rock Palace. Palace. No, no, the Rock Palace was on Van Pelt. Uh, the yeah. factory, or later became Snoopy's, was the one on Sagayan. Yeah, yeah, I've been to those. I've been to all of those, and I remember I told him I was like, I was an SMF friend. I used to sneak in and go see you guys. You guys were incredible back then. You know? And um, what was the place that was? Uh, it was above Bay Street, right by the highway. It was like a big pipe tunnel. The cave. The oh, cave. The cave. That was on Van yeah. Duza. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've yeah, been to I Top Tomato on Victory Boulevard. <laughs> Top Tomato, I know that. That's, that's a hell of a gig. But, but this is this is my follow-up to that question then, Anthony. Is you went to these places, you, you know, you're a Twisted Sister fan, just like me. I would sneak out on Tuesday nights because I used to play every Tuesday night at uh, at the yeah. rock at the rock house. Why don't you like playing in cover bands? 
I don't like playing in cover bands because I think it stifles musicians that could be creating really good art. Good answer. Okay, so, solid answer. Good it's answer. like it's like it's like instead of playing a fucking cover song, go out and write your own song. Have your own voice. Every guy doesn't pick up a guitar to go. You know what? I'm going to start a Kiss tribute band when I'm 30. You know, like it, it, you pick up your thing because you have a voice. You have your own style. You have your own thing. Write your own song, and then people will come on. People will come out and and and, and support you, not support a jukebox that's on stage you know like i could i could go to a jukebox and put money in and tell the bartender to raise the volume and it's like watching a cover band what do you think about a band like farna where they'll go out and they'll have jeff filson from uh from doc in in the band but not one nights where it's not even uh mick thomas they'll play no original uh members so is that i wouldn't, the kind of I wouldn't have even I wouldn't have even paid money to go see Foreigner back in the day when they were real. So why would I go pay money to go see Foreigner now with, with like their great grandchildren playing? Like it's stupid. Yeah, because I also kind of heard like this rumor that um, that Kiss was kind of going to do something like that, where they'll give the band like to Tommy and uh, they, they, you know then someone else will take over. The uh, demon and and star makeup and it would just keep going out like that and you know the other two guys you know Gene and Paul would retire. Well, Kiss will do whatever the fans will give them money to do. Yeah, people just want to sometimes see the songs or hear the songs, and you know they don't care really who's in the band. But sometimes you're paying to see these bands there. It's not any original members, which is crazy. Like, yeah, look at, look at I, I, Quiet Riot now. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I, I don't. I rarely go to shows. If I'm going to go to shows, I want to go see either my friends call me and they go, yo, I'm in town. I'm by your house. Come out. Or I want to go see somebody that c can do stuff that I can't do. You know, like, like I want to go see a guitar player that blows my mind or a drummer that's just insane. You know, like. I, I don't know. I, 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 I have no time for cover bands. Um, I, I just wish they would write their own material. And it's not, it's not a crime to have a cover band do a set that's like half and half originals and covers, you know? Like, mix in your own songs with, with, with versions of covers your own way, you know? Like, but be an artist. The term's recording artist, you know? Not, not, but not it's like a wedding band what's the difference between a cover band and a wedding band yeah very true uh you no know, sean and i we, we both like covers but you know we had uh who was that um uh johnny taylor who's who was the drummer in typo negative sean johnny kelly johnny kelly we had johnny yeah, kelly, I love kelly yeah i love great johnny kelly great dude and he was telling us about when typo would play like cinnamon girl and uh summer breeze and it was just songs that peter just loved to, to play they were just like great songs yeah, that's great. yeah but, then, they but put they're their also spin a band but people are paying money to go see that band perform their record not to cover you know those covers you know what i mean like like typo negative has a following and they have albums and they have so they recorded some covers, you know, and released them, and that's okay. That's not a cover band to me, you know. No, I just, no, far, it just, far from it. 
there's a lot of a lot of really talented musicians out there that are uh, just I don't know I look at a wasted wasted talent. You know? Agree. Listen, man, I I wish we had had a better connection with you tonight and could you know. Um, could talk to you a little bit further, but uh, we'd love to have you back sometime. Can you tell us a little bit uh, what you, you know, before we we, uh, we go, can you tell us a little bit what you got planned uh, going ahead for the summer and beyond? Um, well, I, I guess it's not, it's not playing with Jake because Jake does, doesn't want to do anything. Um, I don't know. I, I'm pretty much probably going to just be working in the studio. Um, I have a bunch of bands that are scheduled on the schedule to record. And uh, uh, I enjoy creating music with artists in the studio. You know, any day in the studio is a good day. And uh, just doing that, I guess, you know, I'm not, there's no other gigs, you know, I don't have any other bands that I play with. I'm pretty much a one band guy. Um, So we're just sitting around waiting for Jake to say, okay, let's go, you know. Well, I, I hope that day comes soon, and I would love to see you guys on the road with Rana. You know, love to see you live in person, Anthony. We were actually thank you. we were actually talking about um, uh, putting a band together with Jake and Warren in it. Oh wow! Because because they're best friends. When and, did you? Uh, when were you talking about this? Uh two years ago. And um, and we were talking about it, and uh, and Jake was all gung ho about it. Jake was excited, and I was going to get play bass. And we were going to get a singer and a drummer, and um, and record it at the ranch, and just come out here and 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 work on two songs and record it, and and do it all up, you know, at my studio. And uh, Warren didn't want to do it. Warren was oh, afraid. Man. Warren was afraid that being in a band might have the potential to ruin the friendship with him and Jake. Like he didn't want to put the friendship at risk by playing in a band together. So that Jake was like, okay, if that's how you feel, I respect how you feel, but I don't think that would be the case. And Warren was like, okay, well, you know, if we play live, who's going to stand on stage left? You know, if we play live, what's going to be the last, song we're going to play in the encore. Uh, rock stars rock you know? stars no but it's not even that it was just it was just i i found it endearing that he cared so much about his friendship that 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 even played the part you know well he's a good guy he, he, he yeah he's a great guy. really good guy i would love to have seen that band maybe with like a john karabi uh fronting it and i don't know sean who could play uh drums Matt Storm. No. Fuck. No. Did you just put, raise your nose to one of the greatest rock drummers of all time there, Anthony Esposito? Uh, what album has he been on? He was with the Cult. Was it the Cult? Well, Cult album. He's not on Sonic Temple. He did the Sonic Temple tour. Mickey Curry played the drums. How about Mickey Curry playing the, the uh, drums in that band? <laughs> In our, in our, I, I would our, imagine. I, I would imagine it would probably be somebody like Tommy Aldridge or somebody like that. Oh fuck yeah! Oh my god, that would be legendary. Having Tommy Aldridge back there. Oh my god, how good would that be? I would think it would be somebody like that, or maybe Bill Ward or somebody like that. You know, like 
<laughs> Listen, you could you couldn't go wrong with either one of them. I'd even take Carmine Apathy. Yeah, but 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 it's never going to happen, or or it's not even being talked about anymore. So well, well, let's not even say never. You never know. Yeah, <laughs> Anthony. Yeah, pleasure having you on, man. Ple- pleasure meeting a fellow Staten Islander who we went to yeah. the same junior high school and going down uh, memory lane with that. And uh, listen, thank you so much for your time. We wish you nothing but the best, man. You're a good dude, and uh, you know we hope to have you on again sometime. Yeah, hopefully next time I'll have something to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and also send us the link of that band uh, that you were telling us about with the two uh, twin uh, pairs of twins. That sounds really interesting. And we'll do everything to pump it out. Four brothers. Um, you'll definitely be hearing about them. All right, cool. All right, Anthony, thank you so much for joining us. And we'll be back next week with another edition of Who's Your Band. Good night, everybody. Take care. Thanks Good a night. lot again, Thanks. Anthony. Appreciate Bye. it, man. Bye.